Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast, a podcast by Arsenal fans for Arsenal fans. My name is Tom Down. I'm joined, as always, by my best friend and away day comrade, Andre Grayson. <laughs> wow. Hello, Mr. Dow. That was quite the introduction, wasn't it? Really it really was. You've really been working on this. <laughs> this is what happens. This is what lockdown does. It just means that I uh, spend my days coming up with new and exciting intros now. So that is uh, what we're going to be doing for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Very good. I like it. I like it. Obviously, we've got loads to talk about today. Um, significantly, the two games that have happened since we last recorded, which were the nil deal with Man United and the defeat to Wolves and also it's been the end of the transfer window but before we do that we need to return to our weekly commentary quiz uh, a quiz where we each select a piece of commentary read that to the other person with no context or emotion and the other person has to guess which goal we are describing so I'm reliably informed by Andre that I would be a disgrace if I get the one that he's picked. So I'm really, really excited and hopeful that I can be a disgrace. So would you like to go first, Andre? Yeah, sure, sure. There's there's several parts to this and I'll build it up, but I'm going to see <laughs> where you can get to it. Okay, right, here we go. He's got a glint in his eyes. Oh, that's just, that's just tempted me in, that has. <laughs> he's got a glint in his eyes. Oh, is it Julio Baptista's free kick at Anfield? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm so happy. No, I, I he's can't. got a goal in his eye. He's got a goal. <laughs> it go, yeah, it goes. He's got a glint in his eyes. Sort of pauses. He takes the free kick and a shot past Dudek. He's got a goal. And then Andy Gray chimes in. He's got a smile on his. I go. Um, I, do you know what? I've not come into this warm. And I was doing uh, impressions earlier, so that was not a good Scottish. He's got a smile on his face. No, I can't do it. He's got a smile on his face to go with the glint in the eye. It's a brilliant free kick. Just amazing. <laughs> and it's just amazing you got that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an utter disgrace. You are. I'm, I'm appalled. I'm appalled. And my, I know my dad is. Um, it, he he is very uh, not anti, but he thinks the fact we know the amount of commentary we do, he he does think is um, appalling. Uh, he can't believe <laughs> we know. I'm, I'm... This. I'm glad you. I'm glad your father finds it appalling. I really am. <laughs> and that is, I gotta say, that tops it off. I love it. Right. Okay. <laughs> God, no pressure. I don't know how. I'll tell you, I'll I'll that. I'll tell you what. That was. Uh, I mean, obviously, what a. We, I suppose we have to touch on that game uh, in yes. itself, just with that, because obviously it was the uh, the famous six three Anfield in the uh, in the League Cup. Um, would it have been the Carling Cup back then? I think it would have been. Yeah, so a long time ago, but. Uh, yeah, really famous. Obviously, Baptista collecting four, but uh, significantly, although Baptista got four, I would say the man of the match was probably Jeremy Allier. He was amazing that day, and it he really it, was. It, it seemed like it was going to be something of a coming of age performance for him, despite it being a much changed team for Liverpool. But uh, no, never to be for for Jeremy. No. Um, he was always he was always one that I was I really was urging to do well. I think everyone wanted him to, to make the breakthrough because when he when he did just burst onto the scene, particularly in the uh, in the League Cup in two thousand three two thousand four, um, I think we all started to see what a special player he could be. And then obviously he he was a part of the invincible squad and and got game time here and there. So it was very disappointing. I I, I do think it's ridiculous that we we're, we're talking about Jeremy Allier 
from a game where Baptista scored four times at Anfield. <laughs> Julio Baptista has got a glint in his eyes. He's got a shot past Dudek, he's got a goal. He's got a smile on his face to go with that glint in the eye. The goalkeeper just hasn't moved. I mean, it didn't when he hit it. Look, a brilliant free kick. It's just amazing. Go on, I'm ready. Hit me up. Okay, I I, I, th- I think you'll get this, but uh, oh no, this, <laughs> this is this wouldn't be as disgraceful as the one I've just done though. So don't don't worry. Um, okay, so. Oh, he's done it. The young Spaniard has arrived at Highbury. Oh, that's uh, that's Clyde Tilsley commentating on Fabregas's goal against Juventus. Incorrect. No! <laughs> Incorrect. Oh, is it um, against Chelsea in the FA Cup, Reyes? It is, yes. Okay. <sighs> I loved how much conviction you went in with the first <laughs> one. <laughs> no. yeah. you could, I could have convinced you to say yes, even though it was wrong there. Um yeah. I was tempted to. Uh, to be fair, your dad will be relieved that your knowledge is not maybe quite as tragic as mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's no relief that I got that quite quickly the second time. What a strike that was. I don't know why I didn't watch that game live. Um, so I didn't quite have the same emotional connection with that goal. But what a strike um, from the, the, the late Jose Reyes. And it, it did feel like at that point he had arrived. I remember when he signed. And of course, he joined the Invincibles. And he looked, um, I didn't really know anything about him. The exposure to players, even even as recently as then, you just didn't know. All you knew was that he was doing a, an amazing job up front for Sevilla. But, you know, we didn't, I couldn't have told you where, whether Sevilla were any good at that point. Um, but he was their star player, an amazing coup at the time. And, uh, well, I'm, I know we've talked about his career, but that strike was incredible. And it's such a massive game in the cup. Yeah, and then obviously just a few minutes later he got his second, which is arguably my preferred goal just for the fact that John Terry ended up <laughs> rifling into the back of the net as well. <laughs> yeah. Any goal involving John Terry looking stupid is it adds a significant sort of um, multiplier to the uh, enjoyment of the goal. Yeah, I remember the the, the previous year at uh, against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, uh, he scored a really whopping own goal as well, which a real uh, whack, a real whack, um, which I really enjoyed as well. But yeah, that that goal is actually another one that I didn't watch live because uh, I was playing football. I, I, I remember it really vividly, um, and it was one of the few occasions that when I was playing youth football that my dad um, wasn't at my game because he'd gone to gone to Highbury that day, and. Um, I remember walking off at the end, and and the guy, uh, someone came up to me and just said, "Oh yeah, um, Arsenal beat Chelsea. You're some some new lad got two goals." And I was like, "Reyes, Reyes scored two goals." <laughs> and then obviously that was a that was a significant moment. But uh, I think we all all st- sort of fell in love with Jose Antonio Reyes at that point, and uh, uh, it's just very uh, very tragic the way that his life has uh, has ended um, yeah. so unfortunately. But. Uh, yeah, one of those talents that really, I think, he, he could have been exceptional for Arsenal had he just settled in, in London and in England a little bit better than he did. Now Reyes. Reyes shot. Oh, he's done it. The young Spaniard has arrived at Highbury with a breathtaking goal. And that was right out of Thierry Henry. 
So some really, really amazing memories. I think I think that one, I think of the uh, the goal against Middlesbrough. Um, and obviously that, that season, he was very good in the 0405 campaign. So, yeah, significant memories. But uh, ultimately, two great goals that we've covered and two successes. There Unbelievably. <laughs> Unbelievably, absolutely. Shame Arsenal uh, didn't get two successes. Yeah, that is a, a perfect bridge to the next segment. Um as I said at uh, during the introduction, uh, we drew 0-0 with Manchester United on Saturday um, and then we followed that up with a 2-1 defeat on Tuesday night at Wolves. So I think we'll start with the Man United game. Uh, Andre, initial reactions to that? Yeah, I mean, I because I, um, when, when we do two games and we're going to talk about it, I sort of write down what I'm thinking <laughs> and I, I think this sums it up. I wrote two sentences. Solid point and foundation set for Wolves. Played without fear. Balance was good. Really big game performance. Full stop. David Luiz was superb. Um, and it's amazing <laughs> how quickly football can change, uh, isn't it? Because no, that Man U game, I mean, it was one of those where it just felt like a big game again. And yeah. I thought the way we approached it, and it's a bit... It does. It, it, the two games are really hard to separate at this point because they're so close, and it, you know this keeps happening at how quickly games are coming round. I was really pleased. I would have taken a point before kickoff, especially when I saw the teams. And but I thought the way we asserted ourselves, particularly in the second half, was so pleasing against the team that is in top form. And it just felt like, yeah, do you know what? If that's Arteta's Arsenal, I really like it. Yeah. Um, and I think I texted you during the first half and said that we we look like a team that's playing without three of our best players because obviously without Kieran Tierney, without Bukayo Saka and without Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Um, but we came out for the second half and just really, there was a there was a element of control that wasn't there in the first half and we were creating chances um, and we were just very, very good, I thought. Uh, obviously, Man United still had their chances to to win the game as well. So I think probably ultimately a draw was, was a fair result. But it did give you a sense that we have turned a corner and that we've made ourselves really hard to beat <laughs> and <laughs> and that we just found a way of grinding out a result when I think previously we would have lost that game quite, quite comfortably. So that was a really good to see and it was good to see that players like Emile Smith-Rowe continue to progress quite nicely and uh, offer little glimpses of uh, excellence that he's shown in recent weeks but yeah and I thought the continued renaissance of Pepe was was really pleasing and I thought if it was ever going to come it was going to come from him um so yeah I wasn't totally um I wasn't totally disheartened with that point now what I thought it set us up for was was the Wolves game. I don't think there's too much else to touch on with Man U because I think the, you know, if Cavani scores that, we're really upset. And if Lacazette's free kick goes under the bar, it's a really great three points. But to have another season where Man U don't beat us is a, a really good feeling. They're they're struggling to they're struggling to beat us lately, which I love. Yeah, yeah, it's really really good to see. And uh, obviously, the more we can frustrate them, the better. Um, I think we we both said after that game that if if we went to Wolves and won and to, had taken four points from Man United and Wolves, we would consider that a good return. Um, and unfortunately, that didn't quite go to plan um, in a quite 
comedic game etymology, <laughs> um, to say the least. Um, I thought, my, my initial thoughts, particularly the first half, were that that's some of the best football we've played. And I, we said about the Southampton game and that perhaps being the best example of a complete performance from M Mikel Arteta uh, in terms of defensive nous and uh, the attacking prowess. But certainly in the first half against Wolves, I felt like we controlled the game, we looked comfortable, we created chances. And the only disappointing thing up to the David Luiz instance, which we'll, we'll touch on in a second, was that we didn't lead by three or four goals, as uh, Mikel Arteta alluded to, because we were that dominant and we really should put the game to bed before half-time. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Tom, it's, it's one of those where that first half was really quite special. I mean, Wolves were absolutely nothing. And I couldn't help but go back to the Wolves home game the insipid performance, you know, Gabrielle equalised and you thought we'd kick on and we just shriveled and shrunk and we were just a nothing team. I mean, Thomas Party in that first half. So good, I mean, so good. I haven't seen a midfield, that was Vieira-esque. He's yeah. a quality on the ball, he, everything. And it was one of those where if the ball broke, it just broke to him. Wherever it was, it felt like it was the other side of the pitch and it somehow broke to party. It was on the heart, you know, it, it, it broke up by the touchline. The next thing you knew, it was at party's feet. Um, he intercepted everything. He, it just all went through him. It was a, a, as good a half as you can see. And I think it's really hard with this game because I, I overall am enthused by this because if that is what we bring from an attacking perspective, then I am so excited. I mean, Pepe's goal is a joke. What... Double, two nutmegs in the box. See you later. Right foot, bent in. Note. I mean, Jesus Christ, this guy is so talented. Um, and when he does things like that, first text straight into the group chat that slags him off every week. I was like, that's what you pay for. Because that quality, I love Saka, and he might be able to do that. But Pepe is the only one in our squad with that ridiculous talent that can come up with something like that. That was something out of nothing. But also... It, it was the way he won the ball back. And that's the Pepe we need and have needed, in fairness. It's taken him time. But you can see he won that ball back. He played, it, it, Lacazette and him combine, and then Pepe just beats Semedo, pops it through Neves' leg. See you later, you bearded oaf. And then right-footed, bent into Rui Patricio's corner. And it was the least we deserved. But I was just so excited by that raw talent. And the way we combined in that first half, was as good an attacking performance as I have seen, just just without reward. Yeah, yeah. Um, just touching on Pepe again, that uh, I think in uh, in recent weeks we're we're starting to see him come into a bit of form, and we're starting to see him really really push on and hopefully develop that consistency. Because if we think back to the FA Cup game against Southampton, he was he was better in that game than he had been in recent weeks, and then he obviously had a good game at Southampton in the league was good against Manchester United on the weekend. And obviously, first half um, was very good against Wolves on uh, on Tuesday. So, he re he's starting to piece performances together. And obviously, two goals in that time. Um, he, and he consistently looked like the most threatening player in our team. And what I like about him when he goes out onto the left is that he, it brings an extra element to his game because he still has that natural instinct when he wants to cut inside. Because he's such an attacking player, he wants to get as close to the goal as possible. So he does want to drift inside now onto that right foot. 
but he also has the option and the capability of taking it on the outside with his left foot, which when he plays on the right, how often does he really do that? He doesn't do it at all, does he? Every time mm-hmm. he gets it, he tries to cut inside and do something on that left foot of his. And I think him being on the left-hand side has just kind of lifted those inhibitions that, that he maybe has when he's on the right and has brought out a different different performance in him. And I actually thought it was a bit of a, a, bit of a surprise when he came off um, against Wolves because I, I wasn't sure in that situation what Aubameyang was going to mm. o- offer on the left-hand side. Um, so I was a bit disappointed and a bit shocked because if anyone was going to produce something out of nothing, it felt like it was it was going to be Nicola Pepe. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard when you're down to 10 men uh, to, yeah. to, to, to know what's best. And was it about, you know, this game's kind of done, give Aubameyang minutes. If one chance appears, he might just take it. It's hard to know, but... Uh, I've got a question which I'll ask you later on about all of that. Um, I think as well, him further forward makes a huge difference. But, you know, we can only talk about this game for so long without going... (laughs) Without going... uh, I mean, there's a few points here, isn't there? I mean, my first one is we could debate at length um, the validity of the red card, denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. My issue is how Arsenal have a player going through one-on-one in the 47th minute with two minutes to go to half time is a disgrace. I mean, forget what happens afterwards. The fact yeah. that happens and he should have scored, you know, forget the red, forget everything. How we have the propensity to crumble like this so often. I mean, I can't remember the last time I truly trusted a, a side to not do this. And I thought we were getting somewhere with Arteta and it, wider context. If you go wider context uh, about this whole game, we could afford we couldn't really afford to drop points if you had delusions, I suppose, of the top four. But we shouldn't. This shouldn't have mattered as much as it did, because um, you have games like this, and you just can't trust Arsenal. You just cannot trust us, and we had to capitalise. But I, I, I've got to tell you, football's just a horrible sport to watch, <laughs> because I'm sorry, you know. And I know I try not to get like this, and I try not to be too partisan with this, because the Bednarek one against Manu is is arguably more ridiculous. However, how can it be a straight red? He's not... I don't understand how that's a rule in football. It's like it's... And I do think the referee applied the cruelest punishment available to him. Because yeah. I, I just don't think it's a red card. You can see he doesn't attempt. If he put his arm out, You'd go fair enough, and he, and David Luiz has done that. I don't understand how VAR doesn't go. You might want to look at that. He really hasn't gone for him. It is a penalty, right? There's no question about whether it's a penalty. What kills us is the fact it's a red card, and I just can't believe it's a red card. And I honestly believe, if it wasn't David Luiz, I don't think another player gets sent off. I honestly think I don't even forget Arsenal. I don't think if Rob Holding does that, he's off. I just think David Luiz. They look at him and go. Hmm. David Luiz. And if you heard Peter Walton's commentary on BT, he said that. Yeah. And uh, But I just don't understand how that's the rule. However, within the rules, it is, it is absolutely a straight red and a penalty. And there's kind of no argument. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was very frustrated with that decision. And, and it was sort of the more time that that happened after that incident, the more annoyed I got about it. Yeah. Um, and I think the like you said, by if you're going by the letter of the law, then there's a justification for the red card and you can't really question it. But it's such a ridiculous situation. And obviously they spoke about it in the studio last night that 
um, <laughs> if they just went in with like a sliding tackle that, that and, and made far more contact, then it's going to be it's going to be a yellow card. And it's just it's so frustrating. And I do agree with you about the reputation of David Luiz preceding him, but I also think that it's just I, I do. I, I'm I'm sort of torn between two things with this because one one of me says it's just it's just unfortunate and another element of me thinks should David Luiz be running right behind him should he maybe be to the side um, well look and at ma- it this and way making, I, and making sure that he doesn't make physical contact yeah, yeah, look look I, I want to defend David Luiz I do think it's the most ridiculous red card I've ever seen an application of the law. However, do you really in your heart of heart trust that David Luiz didn't know what he was doing in some way? That he thought, well, he might clip, he might clip my knee and it will look accidental. And Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. just, I, I, yeah. don't tr- I don't trust him. I've watched him for years. I mean, he's got worse at Arsenal than he ever was at Chelsea. Yeah. Um, but I just, I don't know. And, and really what I wanted to ask you, because look, I think Leno, I think that's just a mistake. And actually, I, I just felt that compounded it, compounded the ridiculousness of everything that had gone on before it. And Jal Martino has been at Wolves for like three years. He's never scored at Molyneux. He hasn't scored for eight, 16 months. And he how often, it in how from, often does that happen against us? <laughs> I know, I know. But 35-yard screamer. I mean, and like, what a goal. But, you know, if you go down the XG route, it's like a point zero one. It's like a 1% chance of that going in. But of course it goes in. And they created the thing that blew my mind. They are a nothing team, Wolves. The fact we've dropped six points against them is a, a disgrace. But do you know what? That's a, a story for another, you know, this season is what it is. Because they are just not a good side. And we were destroying them first half. And we could have drawn all one with 10 men. But no, they get a blistering world-class strike out of nowhere from an English... You know, our ageing experienced players getting sent off. There's his banging it in from 30 yards, which is one of those days. But what I wanted yeah. to ask you really, like Leno, like I said, Leno, I can deal with this defeat. Because that Leno red card was one of the most ridiculous red cards I have ever seen. Ever. Yeah, it, it was mad. Um, and very un- very uncharacteristic, which is why I think as much as most Arsenal players get a lot of criticism, he's been so good, mm. particularly in recent weeks. So I think our, most Arsenal fans have kind of, Giving him a bit of a, a free ride with that one, and also, obviously uh, because the gone. Well, it's just you go, you go. I was just going to say because because obviously most of the focus was on the David Luiz record. No one's really spoken about Ben Leno. But do you, but do you not think the thing I thought was if I'm if I use my hands all day every well all day every day and that skipped past him, you could tell he didn't. He kind of didn't do it on purpose. His body just took over. You could tell he misjudged yeah. it. He thought he was going to like just hit him and go out. It's going past him, and he's like, my ha- he- I don't think he's gone, oh, fuck, I need to handball this. It happens so fast, you know it's a reaction. I'd question whether that ball was staying in. And yeah. he got sent off for denying a goal-scoring opportunity, not deliberate handball. And it just feels like, again, but th- having said that, the minute I saw it, I was like, oh, he's off. <laughs> and yeah. I have to say, <laughs> from, a, from a comedic standpoint, I mean, when we lose, we lose... So stupidly, <laughs> I mean, it's just. I saw oh, I saw someone tweet and I saw someone tweet and say that it was a uh, a squad drama staffy tribute performance. Tribute, yeah, <laughs> I saw that. I thought it was perfect. I thought it was perfect. Um, but what I wanted to ask you, and again, this is this is Captain Hindsight, but I know you were tweeting out about this beforehand. 
Upon reflection, David Luiz, 34 years old, two high-intensity games uh, within a week. Uh, this was the third in a week, in fact. Do you think we should have rotated more? I think I, I think we probably should have because, as you say, I tweeted out and said that I was slightly surprised that he'd gone with such a strong team. I thought, for, particularly because the game of the weekend was so so taxing on the players, I thought there would be a few more changes. Um, I was looking at someone like Emil Smith-Rowe, who's obviously had um, a lot of football recently and also has had a few injuries. So I was looking potentially that we might see Martin Odegaard. Um, but but I think that's a really valid point to say, OK, well, David Luiz at his age, playing those two games within that, that time frame, was that a wise decision? But you look at the performance in the first half um, and I suppose it kind of gets rid of that argument because of how well we played. Yeah. But obviously then it's that lapse of concentration, which you, you touched on perfectly at the, at the start of all this, um, where you said about how we get ourselves into that situation in the 47th minute of the first half um, is, is ludicrous. It's just, it's so naive to be that close to half time and to allow that to happen. And that was my first instinct as well, far, far from obviously going down the whole <laughs> rabbit hole of the David Louise incident. Um, it was more about that initially. Mm. But I do, th I do think maybe there should have been a bit more rotation. But I, I, I think Arteta has probably looked at the Wolves game and if you compare that one with the Villa game on the weekend, the Wolves game is arguably an easier place to go at the moment than Aston Villa will be. So I think he's looked at that one and probably thought that's a game we, ha we have to win. So that's why he went as strong as he did. That's why Bukayo Saka, despite being so so quickly back into full training following a slight injury, that's why he came back into the side. So in a roundabout way, yes, I think he could have made changes, but I completely understood why he didn't. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got to be honest. The one one I would have changed, I would have changed if I could. I would have changed Lacazette. Um, but I, I think he uh, didn't look. He didn't look hundred percent, did he? No, and I think that, you know it's probably looked over that he he was in hospital Saturday night after that fall where Maguire backs into him um, in the Man U game, and he just wasn't at it. But but I don't know who we could have brought in for him. But with David Luiz, you have got Gabriel sitting there. You know, it, I think uh, upon reflection, I I think Arteta will have regrets that he didn't play Gabriel, and I just think as well it would have been good to have him for him to have minutes and you bring David Luiz back in arguably for the harder game, you know, and argue yeah. that David Luiz is in more form. And I think that squad management, I do think is so hard because it's one moment and you can't even call it a moment of madness. It's not quite like that. No. It's just a collective switching off, which, um, you know, Thomas Partey, can you imagine? He's probably imagining what Dimi Diego Simeone would have said. He probably was like quaking going into the, changing room imagining what someone else and we I don't know you know I'd imagine you don't really lambast a player like that in front of you but um yeah talking talking of rotation and things like that I mean we touched on it before Pepe on the left would you would you I would like to see Pepe from the left Saka from the right Smith and I I do think I know there was a lot of clamor for it but can you imagine a Bamiyang up top in this and some of those chances and getting in the box do you do you think that's something that would be worth exploring, or do you think he's got his heart set on Aubameyang playing from that left? Oh, well, I think I think Pepe's given him. Martin Keown said on commentary last night about Pepe giving him a big problem because of his form, and I don't see how 
you can justify not starting Pepe at the moment unless you're rotating, which obviously with the amount of games that are happening, you can see. But he looks fairly fresh considering he's not played that much football. Um, but I, I like the idea of that as a front four. I really like the idea of that. And I think it's worth revisiting the Aubameyang down the middle discussion again. Because if if he can just focus on his movement and maybe try and just improve that hold-up play a little bit that we need and the pressing from the front, then I think it gives us an extra dynamic. And also, I I, I think Arteta has kind of accepted that Eddie Nketiah is not, not mm. going to make it at this level because he's not really being considered um, in any regard. Like, like you said, Lacazette was was kept in probably through necessity as, as opposed to anything else because... Arteta doesn't feel that Inketi is going to do the job that he needs him to do. So he's going to have to find an option from somewhere. And Aubameyang down the middle is certainly the other option that we have. So I'd love to see it. I'd love to see a start at Villa with that front four. Yeah, and I I think we assume Matt Ryan's fit um, and Kieran Tierney won't be. So Gabriel comes in. And I I guess, I do think we're creating a nice little central midfield partnership there. I I think a shout. Granit Xhaka has been superb lately. Um, he really has stepped up and I thought he was a leader amongst men yesterday as well. He really stood up to the task. Yeah, and it's been very indicative of his performances in recent weeks that he he has been sort of growing in stature and he's been growing in importance. And I, I, look, I think, I think we all know that Granny Xhaka has his limitations. He's always going to be that player that maybe has um, a lapse of concentration um, and has a mistake in him. But at the moment, he's playing brilliantly and he, and it's well worth reminding everyone of that fact. Um, and I really, really do hope it continues because, as you say, that that is a partnership that looks like it has legs. It looks like it can control a game. Um, and I, and that's testament to Granit Xhaka because there's been so many times in his Arsenal career where it looks has looked like it's finished and that he's not going to recover. And mm. we've said on plenty of times that arguably shouldn't play for the club again and he always seems to find a way back which I think it speaks volumes for his character because he's so capable of putting those errors and putting those poor performances behind him and producing displays like he has done recently which is is frustrating but also like I say you just have to applaud his character because obviously he's he's a a massive figure in the changing room and you can tell that he's well respected by the players as well and I think there's a lot to be said to have players like that within the the club yeah I'd agree I'd agree interesting interesting All right. well the other thing I I, I suppose the last point on this is I I did feel yesterday was a really significant blow in terms of what I think our ambitions are for this season but then I had a look at the table and it's it's not (laughs) um because yeah, any sort of run again puts you. I mean, we are. I'm going to give Chelsea and Tottenham the benefit of the doubt and assume they win some games in hand. It looks like sixth place will be between five to seven points ahead of us. We yeah. have to play all the teams that are above us, and we do have a tricky run. But do you think now that defeat kind of pushes us towards the precipice of Europa is absolutely the priority? And I know you, when I say that, it's not like, and I know we'll go on to the transfer window as well, because it, it does relate to the point I'm trying to make. You can't really say, oh, we prioritise Europe because we haven't got that many players. You know, it's not like we play kids against Man City between the Benfica game. You still, <laughs> yeah. you might play Willian and you might play uh, Callum Chambers, for example. 
or Ainsley. Uh, oh no, no, sorry. Uh, <laughs> or Reese Nelson, for example. You know what I'm saying? Is like you might put in some fringe El Nenny, Sabios might play in that game, and you prioritise the Benfica games. Do you think yesterday put the nail in that coffin for making a decision for Arteta, or do you think it's not that clear cut? I think it should be that clear cut because realistically, we need so much to go in our favour to have a run at top four. We have like so much that needs to go in our favour. Um, well, top. I'm even talking top six. I suppose yeah, I'm talking yeah. about Europe next season. Yeah, top four, I think, I think is done. I th- I think Europe is is going to be a tall order through the league. And like you like you touched on when you said about the Wolves defeat shouldn't be that harmful. It's that harmful because of our dreadful start. Let's make no mis- uh, no mistakes about that. It's the reason why we are in this mess is because of our ridiculous start to the season. And what we really need to do now is just concentrate on getting some form between now and the end of the season. Try and finish as high as we can. But the focus has to be on the Europa League because that is the only chance we have of making this a successful season. Other, other than that, it's just going to be a season of transition. And if we have no European football at all for next year, then it's it's going to be probably another year of transition whilst we're building back to a team that can challenge on multiple fronts. So mm. I, 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 th- I think it's really important we have some sort of European football. I know we've spoken before on the podcast about maybe not having that distraction would be would be beneficial. But I, I, I genuinely think, for not only from a playing standpoint, but from the financial perspective, it, it it's an absolute imperative that we've got some kind of European football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, it's incredible, isn't it? It's last chance saloon. I mean, I do still think there's a, a chance for a run in the league. It's not many points. And again, you yeah. know, West Ham will fall away. It, it, but when you look at it, I mean, Leicester, it's a top seven now for me. Because I think Leicester have been there or thereabouts for, for such a long time now. Um, that I just don't see them falling away. You know, if they get an adequate Jamie Vardy, not even adequate, if they get a good Jamie Vardy replacement as he ages, um, they'll be around there. I mean, their squad is fantastic and, and they are a really good team to watch. And I just can't see them falling away. I mean, they're winning as we speak against Fulham. Um they will make a top six place and it's between us Spurs and Chelsea for the other one and you'd have to say that our start completely um handicaps us so yeah it's a very tricky one it's a very tricky one but uh yeah as as I made the uh error of mentioning Ainsley Maitland-Niles um I suppose it leads (laughs) us on to uh the transfer window that has just passed us and and sort of your thoughts uh initially on just the well, it really was only the outgoings on on the deadline day. Uh, I thought all of the outgoings made sense. Um, I think Joe Willock going. I think I think we're very lucky that Joe Willock's found a Premier League club to go on loan to, mm. because I think there's massive question marks about whether he's ready to play at that level or, or whether he's good enough to play at that level. So I think the fact that there's been a team that's been happy to take him in the Premier in the Premier League is 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 massive. And if he can make sure that he's getting a run of games between now and the end of the season, we now have an opportunity to see if he is going to be able to cut it at that level. And I think this is the opportunity he's been waiting for because he's not going to get that at Arsenal at the moment. He needs to have a run of games. And if he proves that he can um, have a, have an impact and, and hold his performances to a certain level, then there's no reason why he can't come back in for pre-season and try to prove himself once again, um, potentially up till January. So the hope with him is that he comes back a more all-round player and maybe 
just maybe can sort of offer something to the squad. But at the moment, I think realistically with him, he'll probably go on loan and I wouldn't be surprised to see him go up. Not, if not in the summer, then the January transfer window, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I think... It may it, again. He, he he needed football. Obviously, he's he's intent on trying to get into the Euro squad, um, so he needed to go somewhere. I was I was surprised that he went to a team as lowly as West Brom. If I'm honest, uh, when I saw that he was linked with Southampton, I thought that that might be um, a goer, and I thought that would be a good move for him. But obviously, that didn't work out. Um, what I liked about the whole Maitland Niles incident is that we. By the sounds of it, we we refused the opportunity for him to go to Leicester because we didn't want to improve a rival, and it's so refreshing to see us have that stance. So, from my my perspective, that's that's just something which hasn't happened for so long. There's been so many times where we've just sold players to rivals. We get, go back to Alexis Sanchez. If we go further back, we got Van Persie, Fabregas. Um, obviously, that was a bit different because he went abroad, but. Nasri, Adibayor, Clichy, Carlo Torre. We were, we were obviously a feeder club for the Manchester clubs at our point. So that was satisfying for me. But I think that was good. And obviously we got Mustafi out the door as well, which is uh, another beneficial piece of business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, just to say, your point on um, Ainsley is an interesting one. I mean, I, I think Willock... I can't believe anyone watches Joe Willock, then see Smith-Rowe. You know, you've, you've only really got room for one youngster. We do need a top number 10 type player. I mean, I do think the Odegaard one is interesting because I was imagining a, a sort of Man City-esque Odegaard, Smith-Rowe with party flanking them. I know we've just sung Jack's praises, but you know what I'm saying. There's, there's yeah. re- <laughs> <there laughs> You feel like something's probably around the corner still. Um, but I do think that might be... Arteta's vision going forward and we do need more players there and I just think Willock maybe has played his last Arsenal game um, with Ainsley I mean what do you make of the fact that Leicester deemed him good enough to be in their squad but we don't in ours because <laughs> they're above us right and they still think yeah this player will do a good job for us but but we don't it doesn't quite correlate to me yeah, it didn't. It didn't make sense to me. But I also looked at him potentially going to Leicester and thought, I don't see him going to Leicester and being a starter. I saw him going there and being a good squad player for them, and I didn't really see his role changing that much from what he has at Arsenal. Um, however, what I find, what I think is probably has held Ainsley Maitland-Niles back over the years is that he's not been able to, to cement down his actual position. He's just been sort of coasting along being a squad player being happy to play in different positions here there and everywhere and his versatility I think has really really held him back um, and the only time that he's really cemented himself into the Arsenal side was obviously when Hector Bellerin was injured and he had a run at right back he didn't really take his opportunity then um, and then obviously when Arteta played with a back three and he played as a left wing back that was the only time he really made himself uh, integral to the side mm. and that 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 was a system that was never going to be sustainable. It was never going to be something that long term Arteta was going to persist with. So it's unfortunate for him, but I, I, I he's another one I'm not sure has a long term future at Arsenal. Um, I'd like to see him go away and really perform well in one position and come back and go right. I'm ready to now be the player in that area. Yeah. Um, and it will be interesting to see what position he actually plays in. I'd love it to be centre midfield because I still think there's a an athletic player in there that could be really, really valuable. 
Um, but we just have to wait and see. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it is a fascinating one um, with Ainsley. Um, a bit disappointed Nelson didn't find a club. That's a real shame. Um, I mean, we've, we've done the Schalke, uh, you know, news about Kolasinac that they've won. I don't know if you saw Paul Merson say uh, they've won once all season. Um, and Paul Merson said, uh, yeah, I think Mustafi will help them keep that record. Um <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you what, I felt really bad on social media um, on deadline day because as much as we all are glad to see the back of Mustafi, we're glad that it's over, um, but he got such a hammering. And I think, I I don't know if it changed, but when I did check on social media, he hadn't said a goodbye to Arsenal fans or anything like that. Um, That might have changed since. But I've not seen anything where he said, oh, thank you for the amazing support over the years because it really hasn't been there has it and I, I I do feel bad for the guy because I think I tweeted the other day and said that I don't you can't ever question his desire to do well he just was hopelessly out of his depth and he didn't have the ability to to achieve what we needed him to achieve I, I look the thing is is that online abuse is rife so I, I've never sent online abuse to anyone um, who's a professional footballer. Um, I have sent many online abusive messages to FIFA players um, <laughs> time against, but that's a different story. Um, but what I would say with Mustafi is, yeah, you can't deny that. And look, his goal against Tottenham in the North London derby, I remember being so happy it was him, like your worst player, doing that. But he's <laughs> <laughs> uh, always got like, an extra element of satisfaction. Um, look, Shkodran Mustafi put me through some of the worst moments I've ever had with Arsenal. Um, and I agree with you. You know, I felt very sorry for him. You know, thank you, but please, goodbye. It's too late. I can't believe we ever signed you. Um, one of the worst pound-for-pound players I've in my lifetime. I honestly, I honestly cannot worst. think. I honestly cannot think of a worse signing um, for the money that we paid. I know people will chuck players like Igor Stefanovs out there, but you've got to remember that we paid peanuts for him. Um, there's loads of players over the years that we've played minimal amounts for. Um, but to spend that much money, I mean, what is he, our third highest transfer He, he is in the top 10 most expensive uh, top, defenders of all not time. Not third, what am I talking about? I forgot about Aubameyang and I forgot about uh, Lacazette. So he's probably fourth, isn't he? I, I, thought. I, he? He's in the top five, but he's also in the top 10 most expensive defenders of all time. Which is absolutely absurd. Um, I'm just so happy it's over. I really am. Um what I'm was your so what was your what was your worst Mustafi moment, Tom? I think the worst one for me. There's there's two that come to mind actually. I'm going to do the fir- uh, one first, and then I'll go with the really really one that did me in. The first one was in the League Cup final against City, where oh. Aguero's literally touched his back, and Mustafi's just I don't even know what he's done, but he's just stopped running, started complaining, and then Aguero's just run through and lobbed the goalkeeper. That one was up was up there, but the one that really really caught me was against Palace um, because I texted you about this one the other day against Palace when we were cl- hopefully closing in our top four finish under Unai Emery, and he's just let Wilfred Zaha outmuscle him without having to do an awful lot and has done his usual flailing his arms in the air, moaning about everyone else and moaning about the situation. And that was one which I think was 
defining for Arsenal Football Club because had that not happened, there's a fair chance we would have gone on and, and clinched top four. That then might have taken the pressure off of the Europa League final and that could have been a different story. But more importantly, we would have hopefully been back in the Champions League um, under Unai Emery. And I just think that's the one that stands out to me. That's the single Mustafi moment that makes me just want to curse repeatedly. <laughs> mm, I've got two more. Um, go on, go uh, on. I, I have to say the North London derby where he inexplicably pushes into Harry Kane. Yeah. Uh, who doesn't need much encouragement? Uh, which is one of the he was scenes... offside as well, wasn't he? <laughs> well, look, VAR would have ruled it out back then, but we didn't have that then. But what he was doing, and he, you know, it was one of these. This was Mustafi all over. He was filling in at right back, and he was excellent. He and really then he was. does that, and this was his whole career at us. Every time, every time, he just couldn't deal with any sort of stress. Um, and the other one for me was uh, it was it was Palace away. I, I don't think many people would really necessarily remember, but we drew two all. We were wearing that um, uh, sort of turquoise kit. Xhaka yeah. scored a belting uh, free kick where he hugged Emery, which we later found out the reason he was is because Emery told him to shoot when he got a free kick. <laughs> that is sound advice, that is. Yeah. Uh, you want to uh, shoot uh, the ball when you get a free kick, granite. Um, okay, I boss. I, I think you'll find that was a very good impression. Um, Perfect. Thank you. Good evening. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> uh, why weren't we doing this when he was around? Um, uh, anyway, it's coming to half time. We're 1 0 up. Playing all right. Palace, tough place to go. And the ball's bouncing around in the, the six-yard box. Kiate is trapping the ball, but he's, fa- he's got his back to goal, and there's about three players between Kiate and the goal. And Mustafi slides in, and it is, it's just a penalty. You know when sometimes, you, you know, the David, oh, it's just oh, it's so unlucky. It's just a penalty. He just fouls him. He just slides into the back of him. It's as clear a day of pen, and they equalise just before half-time, which is a very familiar script from the penalty spot and he was just brain dead and the number of times he did that break so many brain dead challenges and you know the art of defending where you stay up he was always on the floor the montages of him on the floor with clown music um yeah. is magnificent but look he has defined arsenal in an era for a long time i'm delighted he's gone i wish Schalke all the very best if i was last he's not the defender i'd bring in but good luck to them with mustafi a back four that includes Mustafi and Kalasnach. I uh, I would tune in to watch Schalke most weeks for the opposition. <laughs> I think uh, I think we'll look up when Hertha Berlin are playing Schalke and see how Gwendouzi gets on uh, <laughs> against those two. I think. Yeah, I mean, fun. he's got to be giving his attackers sound advice for that game. Just, he must just be encouraging them. them. Just run at them. Get Mustafi in the box. Run straight at him. He'll take you down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a great shame, you know, to, to muller a player like this. Because also there was a lot of good games and a, a lot of good memories. And uh, But no, he was all kinds of wrong. Yes. And uh, what I won't miss either is his constant back on top social media posts. Oh, this bloke. SM20. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, god, I'm so glad it's over. I'm so glad it's over. But uh, it thank you, thank you for everything, Mustafi. Yeah, and absolutely. Good luck, good luck in the future. Absolutely. And just going back to just going back to the transfer window. One thing I did want to ask you was about no sub, le- no left back. 
uh, and no Maitland Niles, you know, and Maitland Niles being allowed to go, what, who on, uh, what's the solution there? Because that, I feel like we're incredibly light now at both, both fullback positions for cover. I mean, Cedric's doing a great job, but yeah, what do you think? The only thing I can think of is that Callum Chambers might be used as an optional TD at right fullback. Um, he's the only one that makes me think that might be why um, we were happy to let Maitland-Niles go because we potentially got three players who can play right fullback, um, and obviously Cedric is doing a job at left fullback with with Tierney hopefully being back soon. So that was my thinking with that. It is worrying. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, yeah. I did think we'd get something, especially when Arteta said on deadline day that, oh, you never know. Um, he kind of in, inferred like there might be something happening. But um, a bit disappointing. But I think what they're doing is gambling that Cedric can get us through till the summer. Mm. And I think the summer is going to be massive for us because we've cleared the, cleared the wages. We've cleared a lot of players out. Um, we've made space within the squad. There'll probably be a few more outgoings in the summer. And... I think that's what they're relying on, personally. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. But hopefully, they know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, hmm. I, I'm a bit worried. It feels a bit light, but we shall see. We, we'll trust. We'll trust in them for now and hope it's going to be okay. Because I think, I think, I do think Cedric's doing a good job as well. Yeah, I think I think last night, particularly in the second half, was a, a struggle at times. But I think for uh, a right to fullback playing on the left, I think he, he's doing a very good job. And I'm more than happy to persist with him. Um, and I think he's proven himself to be a really good squad player. So that's, uh, that's all positive. Absolutely. Right, before we finish, obviously we are going to go back to our usual bank of memories where we look at goals from years gone by we're going to revert back to our usual structure of selecting a kit rather than a specific moment today so we're going to look at the 2011-2012 home kit which was a very significant year for Andre and myself because it was our last year at university so Mm. very significant year for us but um, Andre would you like to tell me your first goal that you can think of? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I, the one for me is um, it was 125 years of Arsenal at that point, and we had the the commemorative crest. Uh, and the day that sort of um, that all culminated, they did a um, we were playing Everton at home, and it was a uh, ceremony with all our stars. All the players were there. It was a, a really uh, wonderful, wonderful day. Um, we weren't playing very well this season. There was a, an array of mixed results. Um, but the goal that stood out for me was on that day against Everton where Alex Song, um, as so, as so often happened this season, found the marauding run of Robin Van Persie. The ball is clipped over from right to left and it lands as Song did so often, really underrated, I think for this, it lands perfectly on the left boot of Robin Van Persie to strike a sumptuous low swerving volley across the keeper it was unstoppable it was a goal befitting of the occasion van persie was in the form of his life it was struck so sweetly um, i was watching this on a stream at uni and it was it was like it was such an emotional goal and it was just it was just class it was one of the best goals you could wish to see from from van persie and that left foot when it when it was struck it stared struck 
just <laughs> it was just a, it was just such a wonderful goal and it, it sort of rounded off a really wonderful day commemorating all of our history as a club yeah it was a wonderful day and uh what, what was uh very striking is because it was a really terrible game it was a really really <laughs> yes. poor game of football and i think the commentator at the time said that it was a goal that belonged in a different match and it really did because it was the only bit of quality in the whole game um but it was really nice obviously before the game to see all the uh, all the club legends there and things like that but uh, a really really wonderful memory Okay, my first goal is also a Robin Van Persie goal, and it is his goal against Tottenham in the 5-2 in the North London derby. Now, we hate Van Persie nowadays, but there was a time that we loved him. And despite him souring his reputation with his controversial move to Manchester United, I think the mood in recent years is probably dampened somewhat with, um, mm. towards the hatred towards him. And I think that's probably because of the, the direction the club have taken and a, a bit more of an understanding about exactly why Van Persie wanted to jump ship. Yeah. Uh, ne- nevertheless, we still like him a lot more than we do that lot down the road. So that's that's good. Um, now, this goal felt like a big moment, not only because it clawed us back to 2-2 in a game that looked like it was beyond us at times, and not specifically because we were going to win the game 5-2. Um it stands out for me more for redemption because two of the three previous North London derbies at the Emirates, and I was at these two, um, had been firstly the 4-4 draw, where we were 4-2 up heading into stoppage time and drew 4-all. And secondly, the 3-2 loss when we were 2 up at half-time and somehow threw that away to to lose 3-2. Disgusting. Um, which was, coincidentally, one of my favourite pub outings at the football, <laughs> but that's another story. Um 2012 was different, though. We were the ones singing 2-0 when you fucked it up. And RVP played a massive role in helping to achieve that. Uh, I remember the games with, obviously, Sanya getting a goal back, which I watched the highlights of it today, and it was just just fantastic to see. Sanya pulled one back, and then the Van Persie goal was just pure magic, bringing the ball down, turning and firing unstoppably into the, the far corner. Um, and it was a goal of absolute elegance out of absolutely nothing. Um, at a time when we needed it most. Mm. That that year, he was our tallies man, and he was a player that was no no question was world-class. Uh, particularly that season, we wouldn't have swapped him for anyone in world football. I loved him, and his departure still hurts me today, but mm. some incredible memories of Robin Van Persie. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, oh, and what I'd have to say is, I, I think that goal itself was spectacular. And that was one of... That was one of the best days um, of that's one of my best memories of a North London derby. I, yeah. I think the way we turned it round was just sensational. That Sanya header, um, that Arteta cross, Sanya bullet header, we were back in. And they, you know, they were above us and they were, you know, there's that favourite thing where they're holding up seven points in the gap, not realising we just beat them 5-2. Um, oh, just so many great things. And it was just... They are a club in our shadow, and, and this was an exem- you know this was us exemplifying it then more than ever. We just came back. We weren't we weren't even that great that season. A Walcott brace, and we were just away. It was just such an amazing day. I watched that in twelve pins, uh, and it was just electrifying. Um, but yeah, it was a, a special, special, special goal from RVP that completely swayed it in our direction just before half time. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Okay, do you want to tell me your second goal then, Andre? 
Well, actually, I was looking at the ones we have. I think you should go for number okay, two I, now. Yeah, I agree. That's probably <laughs> a good shout. So it's going to be me again. Um, okay, my second goal is a goal scored by our manager um, during his playing days. Obviously, not this season. <laughs> and it is his goal against Manchester City. Um he scored some great goals that season. His first goal um, for the club was away at Blackburn. He then scored a thunder bastard of a free kick against Villa. Um, but I'm selecting this goal against Manchester City. And it's a goal that I remember more for the celebration than anything else. Because I was in the North Bank that day. And when the goal went in, obviously, the entire North Bank exploded in, in unison. And everyone together just started mimicking the, the newly adopted Man City Poznan celebration. <laughs> and the entirety of the North Bank was doing it. And it was just a really fantastic moment that uh, I, I won't ever forget. Um, the goal itself, so Arteta robbed the ball from David Pizarro in the, uh, the middle of the park. Um, took a touch to steady himself and then rifled a 25-yard drive into the bottom right-hand corner. Um at the time, that felt like it had set us on the way to the Champions League spot and finish above Spurs um, again. But we had a bit of a wobble, which made it a lot more difficult than it needed to be. Um, and it was also one that, I, that stands out because that felt like it was the end of Man City's title challenge as well. Um, we now know that was a fallacy and that they actually went on to win the title anyway. But at the time, it felt like it was beyond them after that result. So a couple of things happened, which change the direction of English football for that season but uh, a really really spectacular goal and the, the atmosphere in the stadium that day was was fantastic. That was electrifying I mean you can hear ah, da, da, and it was such a rare goal it's more of a championship goal like a 25 yard low drive you don't yeah. see many of those but you knew when he picked up the ball where it was going Balotelli obviously got sent off um, <laughs> as well and uh, you know that picture of Mancini just just standing there um, it was, uh, no, it was spectacular, spectacular. Um, and again, leads nicely, uh, leads nicely onto my one, which was, um, reason I'm going last is, uh, the Koscielny winner against West Bromwich Albion. So I actually wanted to ask you before I go into the goal, where did you watch this? Were you, were you, <laughs> I, were you with me at the Emirates? No, I wasn't. Oh, I watched okay. it, um, in my room at uni. Okay. Um, and I watched it on a dodgy stream whilst all of my housemates were watching the Man City game downstairs. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I didn't care. I like they were just like, "Why are you watching Arsenal when this game's going on?" Because like, because I don't care if Man City win the league or not. Yeah. <laughs> I really yeah. don't. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, this was the most stressful game. Um, because we, we well, the season before was Newcastle, wasn't it? Was it the season before or season after? Season after was Newcastle. Right. I think. Newcastle won one nil. That was stressful in its own right. This going two nil down was just horrendous. Um, and it, it it felt like Tottenham were going to finish above us for the first time in forever. And as you said, it was the last year of uni, and there was a lot of Tottenham fans on campus. So this had even more meaning than it already would. And we somehow claw it back. Martin Fulop has one of the worst goalkeeping escapades you've seen. Um, drops the ball at Koscielny's feet and he puts us 3-2 up. And there was just pandemonium in the away end. It went ballistic at the Emirates. I was watching it on a stream. And it was one of these where the stream, they had one TV slightly further ahead than all the others, which yeah. is just horrible. But there was a cheer went up to our left. And then as the corner was coming in and you knew it was coming and it just went absolutely 
ballistic. And then it was so tense. That Kieran Gibbs clearance off the line shortly afterwards. Sorry, that yeah. tackle where Wenger hugs Pat Rice. And it was just, oh, your heart now. You can you can imagine being back there, just the stress and tension of it all. Um, but we got over the line um, thanks to, to the late Martin Fulop. Um, yeah. Which was quite shocking, actually. I was doing my research for this. But, yeah, I mean, what a... Um, what a way to, 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 to book our place in the Champions League. We actually finished third that season in the end. Um, Yossi Benayoun, Santos, and then that Koscielny winner. But the thing I must say is that I really did... Uh, yeah, I, I remember it because all anyone did was go on about City and the Aguero. Um, and I remember putting something out, being like a tweet or something as soon as we'd won and be like, it's all that matters. It's all that matters. And everyone's like, you know, the people go, did you not just see Man City? And like, you know, I, like, I don't, I don't care. I do not care. This meant so much more. And I found it so weird if there was a single Arsenal fan that cared more about, you know, watching the City game. So, well, you know, yeah, you, it was you, know this Arsenal, it was you know there's Arsenal fans out there that would have been watching that game um, ahead of the Arsenal game. And I'd question whether they're fans or not, personally. But... Um, <laughs> They're not. They're not. Yeah, they're they not. They're, yeah. I don't understand. If I, if I could look, if we were if we were third, and it was you know nailed on, and we were three 0 up. I might have yeah. switched over type thing, but no. I, I remember. I, I couldn't believe that City won it because they actually their game finished two minutes later than ours, and they switched over to Sky Sports News in the at the Emirates, and you watched it tick from two 0 to three, and the commentary from. Um, Sorry, from two all to three two. I think it was Merson who was commentating on the game, and he's just going mad. Uh, and it was quite amazing because I was quite, I was quite up for City winning the league over United. Yeah, yeah, de- definitely in agreement with that. That was uh, something we'd uh, really were fed up of Man United being successful. So uh, it was nice to see them overhauled. Um, okay, so there's four really, really nice goals from that season. So although it was a, a challenging campaign. Um, there were some really, really, really great moments that year. Um, there were some horrible moments, but some really, really good ones as well. Um, but those are obviously just some of our memories from the home kits. Um, Honourable mention, obviously, with that kit as well, to the uh, the RVP hat-trick at Stamford Bridge that uh, oh. we, we, we haven't touched on. But that was another great moment, which I remember because I was on a stag do in, in Brighton. Mm. And I went I insisted that we were going to go and watch the game because obviously I'm not going to miss it but I watched it with two Chelsea fans <laughs> and I and I spent the entire stag weekend just singing Robin Van Persie he scores when he wants <laughs> and they got very very annoyed with me because I did it for a long time <laughs> oh my goodness yeah that was that was spectacular I have to say just because it, it, it sort of ties in quite nicely with the current plight that Norwich game at home, the penultimate oh. game, was the worst, the worst of the worst, wasn't it? Two, yeah. Was it 2-0 down, claw it back to 3-2 in the last minute and still concede to chunky Grant Holt? Yeah. That's one of the worst ever, I think you'll find. Yeah, horrific. And what I remember about that is that we played in a tournament in the Emirates the next day. <laughs> and of course we did. I- I've never been more disappointed about playing the Emirates. I was in such a bad mood when I came out to see you. <laughs> was that the tournament where we got done by the Italians? Uh, yes, I believe it was. <laughs> we got... <laughs> that was a great tournament. It was a great tournament. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, and on that uplifting note, um, it's time to bring this podcast to a close. Thank you very much for listening as always. If you'd like to see what we're up to on social media and see all of our rants on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, <laughs> then you can find us by searching for the Boys in Red and White podcast. We also have a website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. So that leaves us just to say thank you very much to Mr. Andre Grayson, as always. Thank you, Mr. Dow. Pleasure. Pleasure as always. And we will be back next week with another podcast. Thank you and goodbye.